0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is
1: Believe. Episode 213 for the love of the game on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Online. Are you sad that NBA season is over? Are you sad that NFL season is not close enough and that NHL season is over? Have no fear. Bet Online has you covered for all the summer sports, whether it's baseball, boxing, golf. You name it, Bet Online has you covered. Head to the website or use your mobile device. Sign up today and get in on all the summer action. Remember to use promo code Believe. That's B L E A V to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, promo code B L E A V to capitalize on that for 50%. Bet Online, where the game starts. With that said, episode 213 for the love of the game. Let's get this work. Still smell of blowing my clothes like crispy cream. I was cooking them all in the smoke, like horseshoes. I was tossing them all. Time to read up, gotta recycle the flow. I'm emotional, I hug the block. I'm so emotional, I love my clock. Chance rules everything around me. So, what's realer? By the thriller, call me a ghost face killer. Welcome back. You know what it is. Episode 213 for the love of the game on the Believe Podcast Network. With yours truly, it's ATH. We're back. And it's going to be a long summer, folks. Long summer. NBA seasons behind us. NHL seasons behind us. We have the draft coming up this week, which is exciting. We're going to get to that with a recurring guest in just a matter of moments. We've got free agency rumors. But other than that, not a whole heck of a lot going on, folks, because the Yankees kind of stink. At the time of recording, they are currently up 3-1 on the Mariners. But who really cares? Who cares? This team stinks. We talked about it last episode. How I don't understand how this team can have this lineup. The New York Yankees, the most valuable franchise in all of sports, can have this kind of lineup. I know guys are hurt, but my goodness. My goodness. Like, How could this team be this bad without Aaron Judge? You know what? I'm not even going to go through it anymore. I'm not going through it anymore. I'm not talking about the New York Yankees, on this show for at least three weeks. For at least three weeks, because I can't do it. I can't do it. It, It's not worth the aggravation talking about this team and how so incredibly mediocre it is. So we're just going to move on. We're going to move on because we do have the NBA draft to talk about. There was a big trade in the NBA right now. So you know what? That's where we're going. On to the next subject. Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal was traded from the Washington Wizards to the Phoenix Suns. Chris Paul, Landry Shamet, a few second round picks go back to the Washington Wizards for Bradley Beal. This may be a three-team trade that they're trying to work out to get Chris Paul to a contender. We'll see how that works out. This is an interesting trade because quite frankly I don't like it for either team. So let's start with the Phoenix Suns, who are acquiring Bradley Beal and his close to $55 to $60 million contract with a no-trade clause. In a vacuum, they didn't give up a whole heck of a lot. Chris Paul is 38 and getting old, had a partially guaranteed contract. Landry Shamit. Has bounced around, has been chronically disappointing for years. The Suns didn't have any first round picks to trade after the Kevin Durant trade, so they gave up some second round picks. So, yeah, Bradley Beal on the surface is way more of a talent than what you traded out. However, there are a couple of major issues here if you're the Suns. One, as I said on the Charity Stripe show earlier in the week, if you're paying. B-level players, A-plus money, in a salary cap sport, that's your quickest way to mediocrity. Bradley Beal is a B-player. He was a B-plus player about four years ago. And since then, his three-point shooting has diminished, and he has not played a lot of games because he hasn't been healthy. So he's a B-player making A-plus money, okay? That's how you screw yourself, and especially with this collective bargaining agreement that's coming where the penalties are going to be super harsh for super expensive teams. It is going to be very difficult for the Phoenix Suns to fill in the gaps around Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant. They were already very thin and had no depth last year, and you just traded out two guys who are in the rotation for one. Now, the other issue is is that Bradley Beal and Devin Booker are essentially the same player. I mean, Devin Booker is way better than Bradley Beal, but they're essentially the same player. They're shooting guards who move well off the ball, but ultimately they're shooting guards. Who's setting the table for this Phoenix Suns team? Who's getting everybody involved? Who's the best passer on this Suns team? I'm not so sure now you could say that point devin booker has been good for the suns but that's not really what you want devin booker to be doing you want him to be in attack mode and if he's constantly in an attack mode then all the other guys are just standing around and watching if he and kevin Durant play pick and roll Is everybody standing around watching? Is Bradley Beal going to be able to transition his game from somebody who had the ball in his hands a lot, had a pretty high usage percentage, to be able to do his best 2008 Ray Allen version? I'm not so sure. So the positional overlap is tremendous. The lack of financial flexibility to fill in around the roster is bleak. I just don't see it for the Suns. I don't. And Kevin Durant's getting older and he's not as reliable as he used to be. And the odds makers had the Suns now plus 650 to win the title next year. Like, I am willing to book anybody's action who's taking the Suns. I am fading this Suns team heavy. I just don't see how they have enough good players and enough complimentary players to compete in the West. Are they the second best team in the west Eh, i'm not so sure you know you can make an argument for the golden state warriors next year depending on what happens and again a lot of stuff has to shake out but you can make an argument for the warriors you can make an argument for the sacramento kings you can make an argument for potentially the lakers depending on what what happens you can make an argument for the clippers The point is is that if you're going all in like this and spending the money that Matt Ishbia is going to be spending, especially with the luxury tax bill that's coming and the second apron that's down the line, without the flexibility of first-round picks and even being able to trade future picks because of the second apron tax, I'm just not sure you want to be going all in on Bradley Beal. That's not the guy I would do it with this Phoenix team. Now you're going to say, well, you needed to upgrade the talent because Chris Ball is old and unreliable, but okay. Yeah, you upgraded the talent, but the talent has an overlap. I'm just not buying this. This Suns situation has new owner written all over it, and we've seen it for years across sports, especially in, in the NBA. The new owner that comes in, wants to make a splash, Wants to get the big name, and ultimately it doesn't really pay off for them. You saw it last summer with the Minnesota Timberwolves. A Rod and his new group want to make a splash. They bring in Rudy Gobert, and it was a disaster. So, yeah, I don't love this trade from a Sun's perspective. Now let's talk about the Wizards, who gave Bradley Beal, inexplicably gave him a no trade clause, which basically limited the number of teams that they could really negotiate with and the number of teams that he'd be willing to accept a deal to. You're probably wondering, look at the guys last summer, DeJounte Murray, Rudy Gobert, look what they fetched in trade. Well, you can't do that unless you can create a bidding war between teams. And he had a no trade clause, so you couldn't do that. So the Wizards just shot themselves in the foot. Now, again, The Wizards are better off now than they were before because now they're able to wipe the slate clean. They're finally able to rip it down to studs and be bad. And no, I don't think Chris Paul is going to play a minute for the Washington Wizards. But if you're a Wizards fan, you have to be furious. Not just because the fact that you didn't get a whole lot for a guy who, again, scored 30 points a game and I think made third-team All-NBA not that long ago. But the fact that you didn't do this, this upcoming season when you had an out, you didn't have to sign Bradley Beal this past offseason to this monster deal with a no trade clause. You didn't have to do it. You had to clean out and you could have bottomed out with a chance to draft Victor Wimbanyama this Thursday. But no, they were chasing a play-in spot. That's insanity. If I was a Wizards fan, I would be furious, absolutely furious. But hey, what's done is done. If you're the Wizards, now you're trying to cash in on the Porzingis asset, who actually had a good year. You're trying to cash in on the Kuzma asset, maybe a sign and trade. Who the hell knows? But you're tearing it down. But my goodness, the fact that they couldn't even get a first-round pick from anyone because of this no-trade clause is absolutely embarrassing. So yeah, a trade that I didn't like for both teams, the Suns. Yeah, they're going to be in the mix cuz those guys are talented enough, but they're incredibly thin and are and are going to have a really difficult time filling out a roster and the Wizards are just are just a train wreck of a franchise and I know that because the Knicks have been a train wreck of a franchise, so it takes one to recognize another one. So yeah, that's the uh Bradley Beal trade. I expect a bunch of movement in the next couple of days and the next couple of weeks, and it's great that we get this now before the july 1st deadline the nba is front and center for its offseason moves only a week removed from the against winning the title which is good considering again i really don't want to watch baseball and talk about baseball right now so this is good but yeah this was a a weird trade a weird trade that i didn't like for either side all right so as i mentioned we're going to bring on a recurring guest to talk about the nba draft because quite frankly I need to be educated on the NBA draft a little bit. Two quick things. So outside the top three, from everything I'm hearing, all the other prospects are basically in the same kind of tier. From pick number four to potentially pick number 60, they're all within a tier of each other. And that to me seems like most of the intrigue is around – Teams using their first round picks, or even their second round picks for that matter, because in a draft like this, second round picks have almost more value than first round picks because of the non-guaranteed contracts and you can move them quicker and the salary slot. But yeah, it seems like these teams are going to be looking to move around in the draft, not necessarily because they have a guy in particular that they're targeting, but just to bring in veteran help. And the draft generally seems a little bit blind. Now, again, if you go back through the years, go back through the last 10 first rounds, last 10 first rounds, every single year, it seems like in the late lottery, one guy pops off to be, to becoming an all-star. Devin Booker was drafted 13th. Donovan Mitchell was drafted 13th. Shajit just alexander was drafted 11th. It happens all All the time. All the time. We'll see if it happens with this year's class. But this year, even more than most years, is there's a very clear top tier. And then after that, it's incredibly nebulous, which makes the draft exciting, but makes it also impossible to do a mock draft, which we are not going to do on this show. All right, when we talk about the draft, we're going to talk about other topics, questions, when talking about the draft. But yeah. Kind of a blah draft for me. I'm not a major expert in this year's draft class. I have a couple of thoughts, and that's why we're bringing on a recurring guest Alex Isopoulos of the Charity Stripe Show. We're going to bring him on and talk about the draft in just a matter of moments. So I teased it in the monologue. I am not nearly an expert in this year's NBA draft, and it's coming up on Thursday. We're recording this on a Tuesday evening, so I am very lucky to have a very esteemed guest, a recurring guest. Uh, None other than Alex Osopoulos from the Believe Podcast Network. We spoke yesterday on his live show on the charity stripe where you can find great content out of him and wanted to just bleed it over into my episode this week because I thought it was topical to talk about the draft. Alex, what's good, bud? How you doing? Thanks for doing it.
0: I'm doing well, man. I'm, I'm, how could I be doing poorly right now? I mean, we're talking NBA draft. It's a great time of year. It's, it's a time of year where the NBA really owns the media cycle. Um, so out, even outside of the draft, I mean, you just look at last week, what was happening and obviously the Bradley Beal trade doesn't even necessarily have that many draft implications because the Suns don't have their first round pick this year or their second round pick. Um, but that was an exciting start to this week. And yeah, I, I'm just ready. I'm ready for Thursday night. I'm ready to see what my Mavs do at 10. Uh, and I'm nervous of course, to see what they do.
1: Well, it has implications only because the ripple effects of of a trade like that, right? So, for a team, say like the Miami Heat, who are interested in um, in Bradley Beal, the draft capital there, if you know, it has effects on what. And again, each situation is different. Like he had a no trade clause, but like you know, Damian Lillard may be on the block, right? So it's just and they have the number three pick. So what are they going to do with the three pick um, in in Portland? Are they going to try to trade it? Or are they going to try to, you know, take the best player available and then move Beal as a result? Um, just a lot of moving pieces, a lot of moving pieces. But let's start there with your, your Dallas Mavericks um, at 10. So before we get into the Mavs, would you say it's accurate that the teams outside the top three, right? Because there's a clear top three in this draft. And then yeah. after that, as we were talking about it yesterday on the show, is that it's almost as if everybody else after the top three is in the same tier of prospects, And we see it year in and year out where even though we may have like a top tier of prospects, every year, mid to late lottery, somebody pops right every single year we've gone back six seven years it happens all the time you just posted the video of guys drafted 15th or later the top five and by the way it was a very good list it's hard to argue that list if we're not including second rounders but so your Mavs are at 10 right would they be included in this tier of teams that are looking at their draft pick as a means of an asset to move for a more established player or are they in a position where they're going to use that pick to actually pick a guy who may be able to help them? Because as you said, this year's draft seems to be filled with maybe not the star players, but rotational guys right off the bat. So where would the Mavs fit in that?
0: I think based off of their current personnel needs and their lack of depth, I would like to see them Explore and I know they've already certainly within the front office have already discussed this. Um, they're prepared going into the NBA draft. Every front office is. I know we like to John all all different kinds of front offices depending on who you're a fan of. This is this these guys' job, you know, and and they're prepared to to do work on Thursday and, and tomorrow as well. But I would I, say- Hold on one
1: second. I never assume the Knicks are prepared for the draft and Leon Rose is prepared for the draft. That's why he trades out of it. It was a pet peeve of mine last year, but whatever, that's another tangent. Sure, sure. Uh,
0: that Maybe that team's the one caveat and, and that could be fair. I would say that I, I'd like to see us explore trading back because we have a clear depth issue and it, it seems as if we are going to be the only team that is willing to offer Kyrie the money that he's looking for. And it would look as if our core, at least from a superstar standpoint is Luca and Kyrie. And it's, it's about putting the rest of the roster together around those guys. And it, and to me it's, we need as many capable bodies as possible. So taking one guy with the 10th pick isn't enough for me. I, I would like to see us move off of Tim Hardaway and the 10th pick or move off of
1: Bertans I would be No, one, no one's taking that contract. Never say never, but I don't think anybody's t- touching that contract.
0: Right. And I think when we when we discuss like trade opportunities for certain teams and you you bring up the point where it's like there are these very clearly established tiers, right? You've got your your first 3 picks. And I think that's the reason why the lottery is so important this year, especially for teams like Houston um, and teams like Detroit, maybe they already have their course or they're a little bit less worried. But I certainly think that Houston has a lot of question marks. And now that they have this this head coach coming in there who is going to completely change the fabric and foundation of how they want to build their future, and they're not getting one of those first three guys, right? And so they have that fourth pick. So it'll be interesting to see what Houston does. And of course, I always have a a watchful eye on them, given that they're rivals with the Mavs. The Dallas-Houston rivalry, of course, is a prominent one in the state of Texas. Um, But I'd like to see us get as many players as possible out of draft night as we can. To me, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it all has to be rookies that we're drafting in the first or second round, um, but it's just about bolstering this roster and filling out the wing positions and the bigs with people that we believe can actually complement Luca well. So the shooters on the outside need to be able to defend. They have to be two-way players, Um, and then the bigs have to be able to rim run. They have to be able to protect the paint, which is not something that Dwight Powell – has been able to do. And, and certainly, you know, JaVale McGee just can't even stay on the court. And at this point with his age, uh, you know, he doesn't have the foot speed to to handle threes and fours who can put the ball on the deck and and they'll get around him. Um, So that's what I'm looking for. I, yeah. I mean, it depends on who's there at 10, right? Like a lot of people like Derek Lively, who's the big out of Duke, um, a lot of people like Taylor Hendricks, who's that the kind of three, four out of UCF. A lot of people think both those guys could go before 10. So it's going to be wait and see, um, on, on some of it, but I think that they're going to trade this pick. I would be highly surprised if we ended up selecting someone with the 10th overall pick.
1: Cause I was going to say, assuming Kyrie is back, which I'm not really sure you want to be in the Kyrie business as I warned you last year, but assume he's back, right. Assume he's back. I'm not sure the Mavericks are a team that can that can accommodate you know a lot of young players right now because last year did not go well, right? Luca, you would think, if this year doesn't go well, is gonna get a little testy. Kyrie is a wild card, right? And it's just like can you parlay the 10 pick into a veteran who's going to just you know really know what he's doing because Rookies, for the most part, don't know what they're doing, which is okay. They're rookies. i have just, they're in an interesting spot. we you can get to teams that you know the most interesting teams in the draft. Uh, yeah, where I, I think, I think just, it's, it's not an easy spot for the Mavericks right now. It's,
0: it's not an easy spot, but I would say my one kind of non-negotiable, at least for me as a as a fan of the team, is if you are trading that tenth pick, get some sort of draft compensation in this year's draft, whether it's in the second round later in the first because I still think we need players. Like, even if you want like I I saw a trade that was floated out and it was the the 10th overall pick and Tim Hardaway for Marcus Smart, which, okay, the Celtics need extra shooting. They can get maybe a a big at at the 10th overall pick. Horford's getting up there in age. We don't know how much longer Rob Will is going to be on that team. He's never on the court anyway. So viably, you could see them making a move for another big to Mm -hmm. kind of spell those guys because they don't have that right now on their roster. They're losing Grant Williams as well. Um, my favorite. They, yeah. Yeah. Which I, the maps have been rumored to potentially go after him. Oh so we'll my say. God.
1: You're going to become my next most hateable team between Kyrie and Grant Williams.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not a huge Grant Williams fan either, but I think he does check a lot of the boxes for what this team needs. Right. Um, but I would at least want to move back later in the, in the first round or get, you know, two second round picks if we could just to have, One of the major problems for me in the roster creation for the Mavs and the way that we've gone about things in the last five to 10 years is players 11 through 15. Who were these guys? I love Boban Barjanovic. He's awesome. But like he has no possibility of getting better. And you're not really going to play him, although he did show up in some of our playoff series, which is a separate issue but I like to see teams taking risks with 11 through 15 on guys that could potentially get a lot better and turn into rotational pieces or, or at least have the possibility of it. You know, that a 27 year old Trey Burke is not going to become your third guard, your second guard off the bench. Like he's just not going to get there. If, if you have four guards on your roster and he's your fifth and all four of them go down or three of them are hurt and you're on a slide. Okay. You can play a minutes and he'll score points, but like, He's not going to contribute when you're trying to make a run and contend, which when you have Luka Doncic on your team, you're always in that mode. You just are. So right. that's why I would at least want to get a pick back if we moved off of 10 and Hardaway. Um, is, he's the most appealing piece right, to, to any other team, um, just in regards of what we can offer. Of course, Bertans has the contract next year. He'd be an expiring. So if you wanted to clear space, maybe that's why you're interested in him. Um, you know, he doesn't offer anything on the defensive side of the ball. Bullock did shoot well enough this past year to really be that enticing of a piece. Kleba, if you want a versatile big who could defend off the bench, um, maybe, you know, he's probably the second in line, just as far as our vets that we could potentially ship off to other teams. Um, but again, I'm, I'm grasping at straws here. That's, that's right. bleak. bleak.
1: The other, uh, I heard another trade rumor or, or, you know, theoretical trade, uh, Bogdanovich, and the thirty-first pick from Detroit mm. for Tim Hardaway in the tenth. So this way you're moving back. Bogdanovich can slide right in. It's a night. Nice, you know, I think that works for both teams. I like the Marcus Smart idea, even though I'm not a Marcus Smart guy. It alleviates some of Boston's logjam uh, money-wise when it comes to the guard position in terms of how they're going to rejiggle things. But yeah, the Mavericks. Mavericks are in an interesting spot because again, you know, if every player in this draft is sort of in the the same caliber of tier outside the top three, you know, moving back to try and get a veteran is, is not a bad idea. The problem is like what what veterans are available considering the free agency class isn't great. Right. It's just, right. this is a weird off season for a lot of teams. So aside for the Mavericks, you know, another team outside the top three, who's your most interesting team when it comes to their draft positioning, and what they could possibly do Thursday night.
0: Probably the magic to me,
1: because they that have, was my, that was my uh, yeah, pick as well.
0: They've got the six overall pick and then they've got the eleven. Um, this is a team whose core right now. I really like with, uh, Wagner and, uh, and, and Boncaro and Wendell Carter. And we'll see on Fultz. I don't even necessarily know if he's for sure a part of their core, but I like what he did last year, um, of their three guards between him, Suggs and, uh, Cole Anthony. I like him the most just as far as like what he brings and not taking away from Paolo and Franz. Um, but this is a team that if they make the right moves, and depending on how they want to utilize their draft capital to go after veterans and with a pick like the sixth overall pick and the 11th pick, you can do some things, you know, and they have some tradable contracts. Um, they could get really creative and they could go after maybe a couple of veterans. I mean, like a guy like Bogdanovich on that team is really interesting to me because I like the, you know, what, what Franz can do just from a ball creation standpoint and playmaking standpoint at, at his size, same thing with Paolo, but they need more shooting on that team. They definitely need more shooting. Fultz is not a great three-point shooter. Um, out of all those guys, like Wendell Carter might be the best three-point shooter, which is a, like out of their starting lineup, which is a real problem. Um, yeah, And we'll see if a team is willing to take a chance on Jonathan Isaac, maybe in a trade. Um, I, I'm not in, in love with him as a player, and he hasn't been on the court enough for me to even really know what he is anymore. But I
1: Personally, if I'm a Knicks front office person, I take a chance on Jonathan Isaac.
0: That's True. the kind of guy
1: I take a chance on because of – but whatever. I mean, like yeah, the, no, Ma- with, the Mavs, with he's you. a good, yeah.
0: he's a good like, dart throw for the Mavs too. Just a guy who can yeah. go play 3-4 and defend multiple positions, rebounds pretty well. Um, yeah, the Magic are really interesting to me. Because I think if they play their cards right, you're looking at a team that for sure can be in the play-in. And, and potentially those five and six spots in the Eastern Conference, like, there are a lot of questions that have to be answered for, you know, those teams that were there this past year. And, yeah, the East, the East to me – feels pretty open outside of your
1: Celtics bucks. And that's it outside of those in the heat, I guess, I guess. I'm with you on the Mavericks because they're, they kind of need veteran help because they have their young guys already. Right? Like you can't have too many young guys because then you can't placate too many young guys. All these guys who are in their rookie deals, who are trying to establish themselves in the league, trying to get to their second contract, you know, and it's just, it's hard to placate everybody like that. So they're Definitely. like in a prime position to make a consolidation trade. Unfortunately for them, their picks are not strong enough. And that's because of the way the draft is as we just said that there's a clear top 3 that that's that's far superior in terms of right. You know, in asset. Like they can't package 6 and 11 and get up to 2 or 3. You know, yeah, they're, they're I, just not going to have enough.
0: I think the only way that that changes for certain teams is if teams that are out of the lottery or in the late lottery have really keyed in on specific guys that they've tapped to have that potential that you're talking about. The position, the positionality of it, I think is really interesting. Like there's not a lot of bigs in this draft. So a guy like Derek Lively, if a team really wants him, maybe they move up. And maybe that's where things get interesting. Um, Bali who played with when a lot of teams like him, there's not a ton of wings in this draft. Um, so it, it just it's gonna get really interesting and we're gonna see which teams like specific guys. But again, I think like the biggest losers are the people that just didn't hit the top three picks in the lottery, specifically the Rockets, and they also have yeah. that problem that you're clarifying, which is who is even their best who's their best, but it but not even young guys, who's their best player, right? Like you would presume it's Jalen Green, but there are nights where I would take Alpern Shangoon as their
1: best young player. Who I'd, I'd rather build my team around.
0: Are you a Jalen Green
1: guy? I'm not a Jalen Green guy. To me, he's like Jr. Smith on steroids. Like I'm just, I'm not, I'm not out on him. Like I don't think that he can't become something good.
0: But right now, he's inefficient. Right now, he doesn't play within the flow of what an NBA offense should look like to make others better around him. Um, And I don't think KPJ necessarily helps him in that regard. Nope, definitely does not.
1: He's been a hindrance.
0: So I, yeah, I, from a, from just a fit standpoint and what kind of guys I would want to build off of, I'd much rather have Alpern Sengun and Jabari Smith. than I would Jalen green if I right. were building
1: a roster today. But, yeah. Yeah. Back to the magic for a second. Like they are a prime consolidation trade. Like for, if Damian Lillard really was on the block. And again, I don't think he's going to, go to Orlando because I think if Portland decides to trade him, they're going to do him a solid. And I think he's going to just end up in Miami. That's just my gut. Well, he doesn't but, have a no trade clause. He doesn't, but he's meant a lot to that organization. They'll they'll kind of, they'll they'll ship him where he wants to go. They'll work with him, right? Um, and they have that luxury because they're in the top three with this clear level of, of prospect that is the top three. But Orlando would be a team... That should be looking to swing a deal for a guy like Damian Lillard, who can not just, you know, help the young guys along, but like really kind of catapult them to a top five seed in the East. Like that team was really good down the stretch last year. I know because I bet their over under season win total. And even when they started out super poorly, they played like close to 500 ball or maybe even a little bit better than that. Down the stretch of the year, and they hit yeah. the over, and they and- also
0: they also played good teams in the East really well. Yes, and I think that's a massive indicator, and and should be looked at more. I really like that Dame Dame to them would answer a lot of questions, and then you're not even concerned whether you have Fultz or Anthony or sucks. Yeah. It doesn't really matter at that point. Doesn't just matter take, at that point. Just take one of them and and move on, and then the only other thing you really have to worry about is like who's your two guard, right? Who's who's that guy, and and who's who can play, who can shoot and who can play defense for you. So maybe a team like that makes it like Tim Hardaway. If you want a guy like that in that scenario, or you, Bogdanovich who we mentioned before, like you still have enough capital and enough personnel and good contracts to go get a guy like that alongside Dame and the rest of that starting five.
1: Yeah. I, I just, the problem is, is with the, with the free agent class not being great and all these really nice players, like the group, the top of the top of the league is basically locked up. It's it's just hard to see, and the Knicks are in this predicament also. Like they're prime for a consolidation trade too, but they didn't pull the trigger on Mitchell last year, which I always said was a mistake. And now they're kind of going into the off season where they have all these all this stuff, but nobody to really spend it on until the guy really asks out. Whether that's Zion Williamson, well, I'm not even sure he has to ask anymore because of his situation. We'll get to him and Charlotte in a second, or Joel Embiid, the guy I'm praying asks out where the Knicks can, you know, package all their stuff. But right now it's just hard to see what you're going to do with all this. And the Magic kind of have a lot of this stuff too, where eventually they're going to have to turn it into something if they really want to make the next move. So you mentioned that, that there are not a lot of bigs or wings. So are we just looking at a whole lot of, combo guards, point guards, and shooting guards? Like, is that what we're looking at?
0: There are – okay, so there's more wings than there are bigs, um, especially in the first round. There are a lot of kind of guard forward types who haven't necessarily solidified what type of player they are, whether Mm -hmm. they were in college or the G League. There are a lot of two guards in this draft. But not a ton of two guards who are excellent
1: shooters. Um the shooting guard who can't shoot. Love that. That right. that's that's right. such a enticing uh opportunity.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a it's an interesting draft. And when I say there's aren't not a lot of bigs, I mean like true fives. Like guys right. that you can run out there and you're not you're not playing small ball. It's a guy that's a rim runner. Um, a lob catcher who can also protect the paint. There's there's very few of those guys. And Derek Lively is the tallest and the highest of those prospects out, outside of Victor Wembanyama. So let me ask you, know, you a question. Let me ask killing. you a question.
1: I just want to piggyback yeah. on that for a sec. Why isn't the guy from UConn slated to go higher then? Jackson? No, not Jackson. The big, I'm forgetting what his name is. Um, The starting center from this past title team.
0: Yeah, I'm, I f- I forget who's I'm blanking out on his name, but like wh- Sonogo, Sonogo, yes, yeah. exactly. Why isn't he slated to go higher? Well, he's not quite as big as Lively. He he's not Lively's a true seven-one. I mean he he's huge. Um, and I also like I liked Sonogo, but see, again, he's like he's like six nine. He's two forty-five, so he's kind of a little bit of that lost big now where you're great in college, but you're not tall enough and you're not agile enough to necessarily play the 20 to 25 minutes in, you know, in, in the pros, a little bit of the like as from Kansas, right? Like that kind of guy, but uh, Oscar Chibwe, who, you know, was an excellent right. rebounder, basically the best rebounder in college basketball out of Kentucky. Like that guy would get picked in the second round. So there's still value for, for guys in the second round. And it's even more to what you were talking about before. And what we talked about yesterday when we were all on a show together is just, there might be, there might not be as many, you know, starters, all-star types, but there could be rotational pieces, guys that can fill out your roster, play eight to 10 years in the league. And I, I think that's why more than ever in this draft, um, I, I like second round picks. They they are a value right. to me. And I think if you're a team, that's a contender or, you know, you're a top six seed last year in the West or the East, and you can get two second round picks and take a shot on a guy like Amani Bates, who, you know, is a six ten wing, who was a a top 10 recruit coming out of his high school class. He went to Eastern Michigan last year and the year prior, he was at Memphis and had a tough time. Um, But he's got like shades of MPJ. He's a really tough shot maker. Um, He's got great length. Like he's not quite, the foot speed's not quite as uh, where you'd want it to be, but like, why not take a risk at that guy and, and just see what happens if you're a team that can afford it. Right. Now, again, what it what it keeps me going to is like, okay, maybe I'm not super concerned if I'm the Pistons at five because I have my core that I want to build around. But I have to admit to myself on the fact that like, look, we're not going to get our third best player in this draft. And we have to be okay with that. And we can't force one of these guys into that either. Um, right. The, the Pistons are an interesting team just to like think about because i think they're a
1: shade behind the magic but they do have
0: pieces that i really like that they could build
1: me off. too me too i was high on them last year and kate cunningham didn't play the entire year I, I, he's the reason i'm super high on them because i think he's great i think he has the ability to be great i was always a jalen ivy guy and jalen Duran looks like he's a player too another guy dra- drafted late By the who the knicks traded whatever by the next. Um, yeah. 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 It, it just, they're as aggravating as it gets, but yeah, I, I, they're another team that it, it's almost like gravy here. You're just trying to find somebody, right? Somebody who's just going to contribute. So let me ask you a question. Yeah. Outside the top three, is there, is there any prospect to you who could sneak in and become one of the three best players in this draft, right? Who's going to, I don't want to say come out of nowhere. But kind of bump off a Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson. I, I I think I think Victor's in a class of his own. But is there a guy who to you has that kind of I don't want to say upside, but has that kind of something, that that mix where all of a sudden you're just like, Whoa, like why didn't we think of him as that top tier of prospect?
0: Yeah, uh, not without risk, of course. And I think there's that's that's a reason why they're not in that same category. And I also, I want to clarify that the way that I've evaluated it, I'm not necessarily saying that Scoot and Brandon Miller are in different tiers, but I feel very differently about those two guys and what they could become in their NBA careers. Mm-hmm. I am much higher on Scoot being a number one guy. He's to the franchise type guy than I am on Brandon Miller. I think the positionality of him being a 6'9 wing who can defend, who can shoot is very enticing. It's very important. Um, but a lot of the comps are saying that this guy's Paul George. Paul George has one of the best handles I've ever seen at a guy at that size. He was more athletic coming out of college than Brandon Miller. When you talk about guys that are like over six, eight who can handle the basketball, there's not many guys outside of Kevin Durant and Paul George that I would think about in the just from like a this guy can run my offense, this guy can handle the ball well enough where like. He can beat a defender off the dribble, not just because he's longer than him and he has longer steps, right. than him, but like he actually can beat him with a dribble move. Brandon Miller is not that they had Javon Quinterly as their point guard in Alabama, who was actually, I think a really good, a really good point guard, at least for the college game. He was coming out of high school. He was a great prospect. Um, and I think he took a, a lot of the load off of Brandon Miller from just making their offense go and Miller didn't show up in in the tournament. And I know that it's a small sample size, but like that matters to me. The mm-hmm. guys are like really in love with this, this Kobe Bufkin guy out of Michigan who played, he's a left-handed point guard. A lot of people are saying he's like taller Jalen Brunson. And and I, my pushback on that is like, like yeah, except Jalen Brunson won in high school and he won in college. Like, right, you can right. say that the guy has intangibles, but it didn't translate on the court. Like it did for a guy
1: like Jalen Brunson. So and I've also heard that this guy, let's just say, gets very tunnel visioned. Where he's just not passing the ball a whole lot, uh, and didn't do so at Michigan. And you know, even though I think sometimes Jalen Brunson for the Knicks gets a little tunnel, tunnel vision, he also is capable of of hitting ahead uh, yeah. a pass. So I, I think
0: I think Brunson's enough of a savvy player where, like, yeah. when he gets tunnel vision, he knows he's getting tunnel vision, and right. he's, he's doing it because he believes that it's the best option for the team at that point, which is what happens when you play with luka doncic for a long time cuz luka has the same he's got the same mindset too um luka right. sees everything on the court if, right. if you don't yes, if you don't get that like you need to watch him more cuz the guy's unbelievable and so does jokic but i think jokic always he never falls into that trap right that those players can fall into sometimes yeah um but back to my brandon miller point i, I would just say I, I don't necessarily as of right now and he could prove me wrong of course but I don't trust him in three years time to be the same end of game creator like I expect scoot to become um so I have them kind of in a different tier mm-hmm. and just just slightly but I think you know cam Whitmore's got a lot of praise the the wing out of Villanova I think he's the he's a freak athlete if he can get everything right on the offensive side of the ball I mean 20 plus point per, points per game score, multi, few time all star type guy. Um, I, I think he's got that potential, but he's got a really slow shot, which is like a, a lot of people's criticism of him, which I, I'm iffy on because if it's at his size at 6'7, 235, like if you can get it over a guy or you can get into a guy and then get your shot off, it doesn't really matter. Um, and then I I love Jairus Walker, the guy from Houston. He's not the type of guy that's going to become, um, your, your best overall player, your second best player. But I think that he's like shades of Draymond green. Like he just does everything defensively. He's in passing lanes. He protects at the rim. He's a freak athlete. He's incredibly versatile and he's actually a pretty good spot up shooter, catch and shoot guy um, for his size, six, eight, and just like the highest motor. So it's, it's less that I think that he can become as good as those guys, but like I am, he, he would be maybe more my answer of like, I would be, absolutely and utterly shocked if he was a flop
1: the guy who i had circled that i've been hearing about was is whitmore out of uh villanova because of just his ability to get to the rim like he has an elite skill he gets by guys right he gets to the rim and he finishes at the rim from everything that i've heard uh him and the guy um black yeah who, you know, was a great athlete, like an unbelievable football player, unbelievable basketball player, decided to play basketball and just has like that certain mentality to him, you know, multi-sports. I personally like that as somebody who's looking at prospects because it just – there's a little bit of a toughness there when you're playing multiple sports. You're not just a specialist. Um, I like that. So, yeah. Um, Your point on Brandon Miller, though, is like, you know, Paul George developed a handle later. So it's, it's hard. I mean, I, I understand, which is, I guess, leads me to my next question. Like if you're Charlotte at two, right, who are you taking? Because LaMelo Ball is presumed the star. I have some questions on how just much of a star he is, right? Everybody's always looking for six, seven, six, eight wings who can defend and shoot. That's what Brandon Miller is. There's a whole lot of point guards. The point guard depth in the NBA right now is as great as it's ever been, right? And if you're drafting at the top of the draft, my belief is you have to get a guy who's going to be a potential all-NBA player, right? Who's going to make an all-NBA team eventually. So if you're the Hornets... You say draft Scoot at two, doesn't matter the fit with Lamelo. You feel it, gear it out. Correct?
0: Yeah, that's how I feel about it.
1: We're in agreement, actually. I, even though I like Brandon Miller a lot, I would take Scoot. If you have to trade Lamelo, so be it. I think Scoot Henderson. If you put them in a vacuum together, I think Scoot as a prospect has more value, quite frankly, than Lamelo. Especially because Lamelo is up for a contract extension and. I'm not so sure how much of a winning player he is. I I don't know. I know the shooting numbers are great, but eh.
0: The injury history too, right? Like the the minor kind of bumps and bruises, which they're minor for now, but if they prolong, like then they become major career injuries. I also think that to me, if Scoot is going to become the future of your franchise, then it doesn't matter that he's playing alongside LaMelo he will make right. it work and it should make him better actually to play with a ball dominant guy, like, like LaMelo. And LaMelo is the type of guy where you want to talk about tunnel vision. Like the one thing that makes him so special is that he moves the ball yes. so well, he moves the ball so well. And he's great on the open break. And so is scoot that team would be really fun in, in, in the fast break and in transition. Um, I think it would teach, scoot how to play off ball which is always valuable in the modern nba uh, so many teams are you go i go right like with the isolation approach and talk about the knicks right Jalen brunson and rj and randall it's you go i go and then he'll go and then we'll start it all over again so it's not the way to win as you saw the nuggets no clearly get not. to the finals no, and, is,
1: it's and, not a winning formula
0: and the heat didn't do it either the two teams in the finals everyone else take note but um I also think that if you do keep Lamelo because of his size, he can guard up, and Scoot can guard the one of teams, and you're not in too bad
1: of a situation there defensively. And Scoot is just a brute of a guy, like just in terms of a physical specimen, like super physical. You know, yeah, he man. can he can also guard up just because of how muscular he is. Two questions before I let you go: One, if you're Portland, what are you doing? Are you you have two lanes? Are you trading the three pick? for a veteran to keep Lillard? Or are you taking one of whoever's available between Scoot and Brandon Miller and moving Lillard and starting anew?
0: I think you have a really unique opportunity here to capitalize on the market of Damian Lillard's value being really high and also Anthony Simons' value being really high. So personally, I would trade both of those guys and I would also trade Nurkic to do a complete rebuild. Pick whoever you think... Pick whoever's there at three, right? Whether it's Miller or it's Scoot. And this has a lot on just like how how good I think Shaden Sharp can become
1: mm-hmm.
0: and really give that guy and the third overall pick the future of this franchise and, and build a, a young core around them without making every single player on that team young like you're talking about. Put some veterans in there that are good tradable contracts because at that point you have some money to play around with too. Um, go get guys – that are on the market right now in the free free agency, maybe a Harrison Barnes, a wing here or there. If you want to bring Jeremy Grant back and then potentially trade him to a contender for more draft capital, like I'm here for that. Um, But I don't think that they're, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world if they trade the three for another, you know, guy that could be a starter for them right now. They bring that, they pair them with Dame, they hold on to Simons, they trade Nurkic. That's like my one non-negotiable. You have to trade Nurkic or else, bring in a big who can start in front of him and actually protect the rim. Um, but I'm here for them competing one more time with Dame. I am. I'm not, I'm not like against it. It's just, I don't think their best option. I think the best option is full rebuild. And I, I, li- yeah, I, I like, I like Simon's a lot. Yeah. I like Simon's a lot, but he cannot defend. And he's not as good as Tyrese Maxey who also can't defend very well, but they're both good players, but they're both similar types of players where like They're never going to be your best player and probably not your, your second best player because of the fact that they can't defend.
1: I would trade Lillard one trade that again, I don't know anything if they're going to keep the three, if they're going to keep Lillard and move the three pick to me, that makes sense. Three and Simons for Jalen Brown in a sign and trade. Um, That to me makes a lot of sense for both teams. Uh, It alleviates a major cap problem potentially for the Celtics. It, um, you know, gives them the opportunity to pick a major prospect, yeah. and it and it gives Damian Lillard an All NBA caliber player to run with. Uh, that's an interesting trade to me, but I would trade Lillard right now. And again, I'm on record saying that I think he ends up with the Heat. Last question before I let you go. I've been doing this little video series that's uh, oh, yeah. getting uh, sent around. Do's and don'ts for pickup and rec league basketball for dudes in your 30s. What's yeah. your biggest Pickup slash rec league pet peeve. Something that drives you crazy.
0: Drives me crazy. Probably when a non-basketball player calls a foul on a basketball player and is really adamant about the fact that they got fouled. So, like when you they're going to the rim or something, and I get ball. And I get a little bit of hand or something like that, which by the way, go look at the rules. Anyone like hand is ball. If if hand is on the ball, hand is ball. And I'm not the type that's going to like argue that, but just little things where it's like le- ticky tack calls, I guess is, is kind of what I'm getting at here. Like if it's a real foul, we all should understand that it's a foul check yeah. up and, and we'll play on. But like, yeah, yeah. that's, that's yeah. probably my biggest one.
1: We talked about uh, foul calling this week. That was the episode four. To me, it's it's the taking the charge. I can't have that. I can't have that in a rec league. I can't have that in a pickup game. If you do that, you're the biggest jackass of all time. Like, you know, no one's. You're not Charles Oakley for the '90s Knicks. Just just play basketball, all right? No, we're trying not to get hurt. We're trying to get a run. We want to be able to get to work the next day and 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 live normal lives. No one needs a. An injured knee or an injured ankle, that to me drives me crazy. And the guy who always asks for somebody to bring a ball in a pickup game who never, ever brings a ball, doesn't have a ball, that to me is nuts. All right, Alex, because I know your time is valuable. You just spent a whole lot of time talking, so I appreciate you uh, giving me a couple of minutes. And uh, we'll speak soon, so thanks so much. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but have fun on Thursday night when you're watching the draft.
1: Thanks. I'll speak to you. Thanks again to recurring guests. Alex Dasopoulos for coming on talking to me about the NBA draft. It should be an interesting draft. By the way, check him out, The Charity Stripe Instagram, Twitter. Check him out. He always does good stuff. It's a great show. That's episode 213 for the love of the game. Take us out, Jeezy and What's <sharp inhale>